Welcome to the Steadfast Carlsbad podcast. This morning's message was taken out of our 10 a.m. service. Let's jump right in, and we hope you're encouraged. Thanks for tuning in. You know, so this morning, we're going to pick up on a second half of a message that was done quite a while ago on Isaiah 61. And in Isaiah 61, you could kind of turn there. We're going to be reading verses 1 to 4, but we're mainly going to focus on verse 4. And, you know, a couple things were on my heart as I was preparing this message. One was the last message didn't get recorded, and I was like, where did I leave off? (laughs) So that was fun. But a scripture came to my mind, I didn't even read it, and it was about at the end of John where... Jesus was talking to Peter and encouraging him after he'd kind of blown it and telling him he loved him and sort of planned for his life. And ultimately, at the end of that conversation, Peter had heard from the Lord what was supposed to happen in his life, even to his death. But then he's with Jesus. He gets his eyes off Jesus, and he's looking at another disciple and says, well, what about him? What's, gonna, what's he going to do? What's going to happen with him? And Jesus said to Peter in a loving way, he said, what is that to you? You follow me. And so as we end this year and as we go into a new year, how much better are we if we get our eyes off of everyone else and get our eyes on Jesus and follow the plan he has for our lives? And this morning, we're going to look at that, ways to do that. God gives us a good start, but will we stay following him. And uh, this morning, we're, we're actually going to look at, in Isaiah 61, more than what we're doing, it's a real clear picture of who Jesus is. Like, do you even want to follow him? Well, he kind of lays it all out, how loving and how good he is. And if we'll grab a hold of that and believe it in faith, we'll turn from doing our own thing, and we will follow him. And he wants to plant us, which we're going to be looking at this morning, in a relationship with him, in a church, in families, in jobs. He wants to plant us in different situations and places in our lives. And we're going to look at that and see how that plays out according to his word. So why don't we stand and read first and then we'll pray. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified, and they shall rebuild the old ruins, they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the desolations of many generations. Let's pray. Father, thank you, you love us. Thank you, you reach out to us. And we just pray this morning, you would just give us ears to hear you, 
Change our hearts, Lord, our wandering hearts. Have them help us get closer to you today. And we pray you would just speak to us and allow us to settle in your love, in your grace, in your mercy, in your forgiveness, and uh, go forward into this new year right in the center of your will, kept in your love, staying close to you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, all righty, please be seated. So this is just going to be a quick overview before we get to verse 3. This promise was a prophetic promise to the Jews about the anointed one, the Messiah, their Savior, God in a sense, who was going to come and do a mighty work in them and restore them and help them individually and collectively as a nation. If you read the whole chapter, ultimately, it's a prophetic word that God will take a ruined, wrecked group of people, a ruined, wrecked nation, the nation of Israel, and he will put them back in their land and he will restore their lives and ultimately he will restore the land to where there is no more sin and evil and all the damage that's going on. So prophecies, we have to believe by faith sometime. If you look at the land right now, they're there. And you see what's going on, and you're going, one day there's going to be peace there. It's going to be beautiful, and everyone's going to love it. That's God's word. It's going to happen. And so, but for an overview for this, this promise is also extended to Christians because in Luke 4, Jesus got up and he read this portion of scripture. And he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your presence. And if you look at the ministry of Jesus, he extended these promises to all, not just the Jews. So these are for us today. And uh, before we get to verse 3, you know, he kind of gets into detail about restored lives and people needing restoration. And he talks about uh, people getting good news, having their heart healed, being delivered from their addictions, being brought out of darkness to light. That's the opening of the prison to those who are bound when they're in prison. They're literally in darkness. He kind of gets into the nitty gritty of the things that people deal with. And he said, I've come to heal that. I've come to do that work in you. And uh, he even addresses the issue of our gripe with evil and wickedness and sin and people hurting each other and people getting damaged by others. And he says, the day of vengeance of our God will come. And he didn't read that in Luke 4. He stopped because when he came, he wasn't coming to deliver vengeance. He was come to deliver love and peace first until the end where he would. Interestingly, even though he stopped and Jesus came, the, you know, he came like this first time to extend love and grace, and one day he'll put an end to the evil. If you look at the life of Jesus and all he taught, all the prophecies in the Old Testament about wickedness being brought down and God dealing with evil and God bringing judgment, he actually expounded on it. He literally would be do teachings and saying, the end is coming, and this is what's going to happen. So, going on to verse 3. 
verse 3 of Isaiah 61 says this. It says, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And you know, when God does a mighty work in, in our hearts, all the, the details of healing and setting us free and ministering and comforting, this is kind of a bigger picture explanation where ultimately all those things, if we're brokenhearted, if we're hurting, if we're addicted, if we're in darkness, that's all ashes. That's a life full of ashes where you've been burned by sin or I've been burned by sin or those that we know are being burned by sin. And this is kind of a big picture like I'm going to take all that and I'm going to give you beauty for ashes and all the pain it causes and the mourning it causes. He says, I'm going to give you joy for the oil of joy for mourning for all that hurt and just heart breaking, wrenching. Can't even explain it. And he says, I'm going to give you the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. It's like a new clothing, a new life, a new way to live where you're not covered with heaviness and hurt. You're covered with healing, etc. and it turns into a garment of praise. It's a new life. I like the way David Guzik, a commentator, said, he said, the extent of the comfort and restoration is beautifully described. Instead of ashes of mourning, he gives us, this is the smallest writing, I can't even barely read it without reading glasses. Instead of mourning, he gives us his, his people beauty. Instead of mourning itself, he gives his people oil of joy. Instead of a spirit of heaviness, he gives his people a garment of praise. But then he says this, why do we sit in ashes? Why do we mourn? Why do we indulge the spirit of heaviness when Jesus gave us something so much better? And we all know that struggle. Sometimes we grab a hold of it, enjoy it, cry out for it. Sometimes we just don't. And we sit in our misery. And God's gracious with us when we're there. But I read a quote. I call them quotable quotes. There's no, I don't know who said it, but it was out there somewhere. An affliction wasted is the worst of waste. God's not into our afflictions just, you know, he says he works all things together for the good. He gives beauty for ashes. We don't want to waste what we've gone through. We want to bring it to the Lord and let him do a work. In this section of scripture, there's actually something described. And what's described is an exchange that can take place. And keyword can. He says, beauty for ashes, oil of joy for mourning, garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. We don't have to make the exchange. We don't have to give him the one and receive the other. We can hang on to it. And when we can't let go, we're struggling with let, letting go, that's different than we won't let go. That's where God works with us when we cry out, I, I can't let this go. Help me, God. I'm willing. I want to. Your word is clear. You want me to. But you're going to have to do it because it's way beyond me. So the question is, do we want to give God the ashes in the morning and the heaviness and let him replace it with the beauty and the joy <clears throat> and the praise? And 
it's so good when we do, and it's such a bummer when we don't. So the first part of this verse says, to console those who mourn in Zion. And ultimately, this is where it shows it's speaking to the Jews who were captive, and now they're back in their homeland. But here's the point. It's clear it's for all of us, as Jesus said in Luke 4. But he wants to comfort and console all those who mourn. And it's so hard to console people. We as humans, family, friends, brothers and sisters in the Lord, God wants us to console one another. But we as humans can only give so much to some, someone. There's a level of mourning where people need, and each of us need our relationship with God. And there's consoling that he can do that doesn't even make sense. You know, it's like in Philippians where it talks about a, a peace that passes all understanding when we come to God that he gives to us. And so this is good. I like what Chuck Smith said. He said, sin destroys as a fire. We look around and we see so many burned out lives, lives that were once vibrant, filled with great hope, and now they are no more. Nothing but ashes. But then he goes on to refer to this uh, verse. He says, but God gives beauty for ashes. And you know, when we look at the reality, not ignoring it, of what's going on in our own lives or the lives of people around us, there's a point where we got to get our eyes up on God and look at it with him where there's hope, where it's impossible. That's what this is all about. And it goes on to say, we're just going to, this is kind of an overview for this section. It's not even our main point. To give them beauty for ashes. And I read this last time, but I'm going to read it again. The word beauty has in mind a beautiful crown or head ornament. It's an, it is speaking of exquisite hats in Exodus 39 and headdresses in Isaiah 39. God's word, he, he was, the people were getting dressed up when it spoke of restoration, a really beautiful thing. In mourning, ashes would be cast upon the head, 2 Samuel, here the ashes are replaced with a beautiful crown. And so you can go all through God's word where there's examples of ashes and why people, they would literally put ashes on their head, which personally, I don't know how this would play out, but at least in their culture, people could be honest about when they were mourning. And other people could know they were mourning because they weren't hiding it. You know, they're like, I'm in a season of mourning. But there's a time when the exchange is to take place. And sometimes that time, it, it's God's timing, not your timing, not the person next to you's timing. We all kind of have a timing thing. Okay, enough, enough, time to move on. But God's timing is perfect. But he wants to exchange our hurts and ashes and pain with beauty. The oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Uh, you know, I read an Instagram quote by Greg Laurie this week, and it said this. He said, if I could tell my younger self, you know, everybody does that now, 
What would you tell your younger self? This was just a couple days ago. He said, I'd, I'd say, replace your worry with worship. Replace your panic with prayer. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And you know, when I think about the, everything we're talking about this morning, there's things where it literally is a choice. God has given us the strength, and we can do it in his strength now, today, Put it behind. Put on the garment of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness. There are other things where it's not so simple like I just threw on you. It's much harder. But you know what? God knows that. He walks someone through that. He brings them to a place where they can if they're willing to just cry out to God and ask for help. But if we don't do it with the things that He's clearly spoke to us to let go of and clearly given us the strength already to do it. We just kind of meander, grumbling, complaining, doing this, that, and the other. When the big things come, we're already in the habit, a, a setup for failure. So he wants to give us a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And spirit of heaviness, you could take that any way you want. Full depression, people who may have physiological needs that maybe they need to get something right in their diet or, or uh, even with medicine. Uh, that's a whole other story. And actually, they should pursue that if that's the case. But I'm talking about a lot of the just the depression, discouragement, the blues, just not feeling good. A lot of that that will happen, does happen. He always wants to pull us out of it and bring us to a place where we have a garment of praise instead of that. Another great preacher, Charles Spurgeon, he said this, if you had God's praise in your mouth, you would not criticize others so often. Ouch. <laughs> all these I read, they're, they're first, like one finger pointed at all, yeah, all. Well, I got three pointing back at me. They all kind of hit me first, like, ouch, ooh, I guess I could grow a little. <laughs> uh, I love the scripture where it says, I probably mentioned it every Bible study, you shall love your neighbors yourself, Galatians, but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed, you are not consumed by one another. But I say walk in the spirit. And he goes on down further and says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, long-suffering. Might be a few more, but that was most of them. It's love. And this reminded me of another thing I heard uh, recently, probably in the last two weeks. And I'm sure this isn't like rock-solid, uh, research-based science that is the bottom line, but I think it's in the ballpark. It said this, if... And by the way, garment of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness, we're kind of talking about this kind of stuff because when we don't have the garment of praise and heaviness, heaviness, sometimes we don't keep it to ourselves. It does get into complaining and criticizing and just not being in a good place with other people. That's why we're talking about this. But it said this, if you look at your relationships with the people you're closest to, or maybe you're around the most, just a work relationship, there's ratios. If you've got a five to one ratio where five of your conversations are butting heads, nitpicking, 
criticizing, hassling, being bugged by the other person. And then you have one good one. It's a five bad, one good. If that's just not a season, like a week or a day where obviously some stuff is coming to the surface, which could be really good to work out. But if it's just habit and lifestyle, that relationship is eroding. And in the case of marriage, they even say it could end it. But if you have a ratio of five good ones, even if you have to muster it up, I love you, you're my favorite. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what you do, what you say. But it's five good ones where you encourage each other, you're thankful for each other, like, ah, you drive me nuts, but I'm so glad. You know I'm so glad you're in my life. That's positive. Uh, <laughs> and then you have one butthead blowout. That's probably more normal life, and hopefully you'll work through things, and it's not going to you know, destroy your relationship. But it's so subtle to go down that road of a five to one bad ratio. And sometimes it actually ends up being 10 bad one, and then it just keeps snowballing and escalating. So, you know, this struggle with putting on the garment of praise and having the oil of joy instead of the spirit of heaviness, David was a great example of someone who understood understood our human condition, and he said this in Psalm 42. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. And it goes on a little bit, and then he says, Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you, God. And he wrote another song. He's got songs coming out all the time about blues and turning to joy. Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he heard my cry. He brought me up out of the horrible pit. He has put a new song in my heart, praise to our God. God does it. He, he can't even explain it how he does it. And further on in Isaiah 61, verse 10, which we're not looking at today, and it's talking about healing the brokenhearted, beauty for ashes, on and on and on, that you may be the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified, that you'll be rebuilding the old ruins, on and on and on. He kind of sums it up in verse 10 and says this. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. That's another big picture of the beauty of restoration. But that's what God wants to clothe clothe us with. The garment of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness. It goes on, and now we're going to look at the planting. Uh, hold on a second. All right, we're all good. We're going to look at that they may be called the trees of righteousness. That they may be called the trees of righteousness. I read a quote from an author, Laurie Stanley. She said, God loves metaphors. He, he, he has designed in us a love for stories and word pictures and a poetry. One of his most used metaphors in the Bible is that of trees. And what's interesting is if you look through God's word, it's a metaphor of people and nations and 
individuals trees are, but there's good examples of good trees and examples of bad trees. So we're going to kind of take a look at a couple of them. In Songs of Solomon 2-3, I kind of like this one, a metaphor of a good man with his woman who thinks he's a good man. It says this, like an apple tree of the woods, so is my beloved among the sons of men. I sat down in his shade with great delight. Happy wife, happy life. Uh, Jeremiah said this, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when he comes, for its leaves remain green. It is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Speaking of a good tree, living through good times and bad times, but always flourishing. Yet there are bad trees. And this is interesting. In Psalm, David said, I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a native green tree. And we see that today with nations and cities and officials in great power and they're spreading themselves like a super incredible tree. Uh, and God says, they're wicked though. Jude speaks of false teachers with an analogy, metaphor of trees. He says this, and this is false teachers in the Christian church. He says, these are spots in your love feast, where they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Late autumn trees, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. No fruit. Uh, what's interesting in the midst of all this, good trees, bad trees, God sees it all. And it says in Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel said this. He said, all the trees of the field small, all the trees of the field shall know that I, the Lord, have brought down the high tree and exalted the low tree, dried up the green tree, and made the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken it. God, God is moving. Sometimes we'd like to have him shut down the high tree really hard, someone who's not good for anybody, and he's patient. It says it's God's loving kindness that brings us to repentance. I've said this every message. Why hasn't the Lord returned and just shut it all down? Because he doesn't desire that any should perish. He loves people. If he shut it all down today, there'd be people who die in their sins. So... You know, as we go on, I had this little plaque. It was about this big. And it said, Jesus, and then it said, celebrate Jesus. And I put all the Christmas stuff away. And then, you know, there's always one thing left out you forgot to put in the boxes and up in the attic. That was it. I picked it up. It's kind of made of clay. Pretty cool. Uh... I dropped it and it broke. And I picked it up and I'm like, yeah, super glue, super glue. Celebrate Jesus, super glue. And then I'm like, no, moving on, something new. You know what? Don't need to fix it. 
there is a time to fix things, but don't fix it, move on. And you know what it reminded me of? That was about celebrating Jesus. When our relationship with Jesus gets a little broken, a little frustrated, it's not going well, maybe we're, the, we're always the one who's been out of shape. He's not so been out of shape. You know what? We don't make a choice to not fix it and move on. And when I say we don't, the problem is we do. It might be for a day, an hour. For some people, they do it all together. So we want to have a life where we celebrate Jesus. And we've been looking at him and what he wants to do in our lives. And when it gets hard, we want to keep our relationship with God right. Fix it, so to speak. Don't you like that when you fix your relationships that are broken? And sometimes you have to move on and not fix it if it's one of those relationships and God gives you the green light to move on. But it's never good when we move on when he was saying, yellow light, move slow, fix it. Or red light, park it and fix it. Our nature is to, you know, sometimes just think about ourselves and move on from it. But Jesus loves us and that's what he wants to do. With that in mind, good tree, bad tree, struggling tree. We're going to look at the struggling tree. Jesus told this parable. He said, he also spoke a parable. A certain man had a fig tree, planted it in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of the vineyard, look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this tree and find none. Cut it down. That's kind of like, don't fix it, move on. But the keeper answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year until I dig around it and fertilize it. Till I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that, you can cut it down. You know, it's kind of weird when it says, well. I was thinking when we don't boast or someone doesn't boast about their progress, they just kind of do, well, do good and then all of them are like, well, you know, God's grace. Things are going well. But you know, God goes the extra mile. This is the picture of God for you and me. And we're all a struggling tree that sometimes doesn't bear the fruit it should bear. And sometimes we can be bearing fruit, meaning good things. We're treating people right in our relationships. We're, we're doing well here, here, and here. But we can have an area where we're not bearing fruit and we should. You know, we're just stuck there. We're, you know, we're, we got an attitude or something we won't let go of. God always wants to work in our lives and dig up and fertilize. And digging up and fertilizes. digging up is getting rid of the hard ground, the hard heart, the bad attitude, the rocks, the cares of this world, the things we're, we're angry about. And instead of be angry and don't sin, we're angry and we're sinning the things where we won't let it go, unforgiveness. He wants to just remove those, dig it up and get rid of it. And the fertilizer is where he pours in, actually the replacement, the exchange, the beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, the love, the forgiveness, the tender mercies. He pours into us so that we can grow and change. He's good. You know, another quote I read that I thought was really cool, it says this. Faith can move mountains, but don't be surprised 
when God gives you a shovel. And you know, Chris mentioned a few times through the nativity messages that some of these things, the love, joy, peace, hope, all, all that, you know, some of them take a little work. You know, we have to put in the time. We have to be willing. And for us as Christians, that is always capped off with, it is God who works in you, both to will and do his good pleasure. It's always in context, meaning God strengthening you, God helping you. Not like you need to do it. I'm just putting this burden on your shoulders. You need to do it. It's always kind of coming up under you. You need to do it, and God's going to lift you up. You're in the palm of his hand. He loves you. He will help you. So Jesus said it this way, vine tree, other metaphor. He said, I am the vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he prunes and takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. And it's all talking there about, it's about a relationship. This is like do's and don'ts. He's like brought it full circle back to a relationship with him. Abide means we're connected, we're staying close, we're with him. We're not going to go down a whole uh, teaching of pruning. But when we're where God wants us, and you know we're growing, we're going forward, we're never perfect till the day we die, there's an element where God is always pruning. He's cut, he wants to cut off the things that aren't going to be good for us, whether it be personally in our own mind and heart, whether it be relationships, whether just, just he wants to prune. And, uh, and what Jesus says is our responsibility is just stay connected. I am the vine, you are the branches. Just stay connected to Jesus. So another quote I read, I liked, it said, when you feel like giving up, remember the last thing to grow on a tree is its fruit. Psalms says this, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. which brings us to that they may be called the trees of righteousness. You know, this is a tricky one. Because some people can say, yeah, I, I just thank you. Man, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm righteous in the Lord. I'm righteous in the Lord. Other people are like, trees of righteousness? I'm not so good. I'm starting to realize I got some, I got some stuff that isn't good. I, I'm kind of unrighteous often. Or... I'm kind of self-righteous often. The righteousness of the Lord, well, you know, by God's grace, he says, we are trees of righteousness. He calls us righteous. And it's so important to lay our unrighteousness and our self-righteousness before the Lord, confess it to him and say, yeah, that's true, but I thank you, Lord, that you give me your righteousness, that I'm forgiven by you, that you clothe me with your righteousness. Because it's a motivation of grace and love and forgiveness that actually leads us to deal with the unrighteousness and the self-righteousness. So uh, I want to read some scriptures, and I'm just going to read through them pretty quick. It says this. 
speaking of righteousness, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And what that says is, Jesus came to put an end to our religion and works and to-do list to get righteous. And he provided a way for us to get righteous that doesn't have to do with our works. And it says this. This is how he did it in Corinthians. For he made him to be him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Another exchange. Sin, righteousness. On the cross, he became a sin offering. The judgment we deserved, he took it so that, we, he, so that he could freely give us forgiveness and love and righteousness. And how that plays out practically is to receive his righteousness has to do with uh, receiving as many as received him to them he gave them the right to become the children of God receiving a gift another exchange you just have to receive it except for on that one we're really giving them our lives there's nothing else we can give them first John 1 9 if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and confession is made to salvation. So confessing Jesus is how we get saved. It's not just confessing sins. You can confess your sins to your blue in the face, and you'll feel really good. You got it all out. But if you don't confess Jesus, Savior, and Lord, there is no forgiveness. So we want to confess him as Savior and Lord. And then with that, we also do confess our sins. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You will be called the trees of righteousness. Why? Because he gives it to you. Because he cleanses you from all unrighteousness. It's good to start out your day that just going, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your righteousness, which is by faith. Thank you for cleansing me and forgiving me. And it says this. Paul, who taught a lot of this, he ultimately said, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. It's a good gift, the righteousness that is from God. So with that all in mind, because of the blood Jesus shed on the cross for you and me, the Lord can say to you, I call you trees of righteousness. Every person sitting here that has received Jesus as Savior and Lord. You're called the trees of righteousness. And you know, there is that reality about the unrighteousness and self-righteousness we have to play out every day. And uh, David wrote the shepherd psalm, and ultimately he said in that one, he restores my soul. The Lord is my shepherd. He restores my soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions, our heart, which get all bent and he leads me in paths of righteousness. God will lead us in paths of righteousness where we're struggling. And Paul took it a step further, kind of. And he said, every day, put on God's full armor. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Put it on so that you can walk in righteousness. So 
In Psalms, it says, the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Wow. The next section is the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase these scriptures. There's a scripture in Isaiah where it says God planted his people. He planted them. He dug around it. He did the fertilizing and removing the bad soil. And it says, but in the end, it didn't bring forth good grapes. It brought forth bad grapes. That's a good thing. It brought forth bad grapes. And when it's the context of bad grapes, wild grapes actually, is bad grapes. It's not like wild good grapes. There's a commentator that said this, not useless wild grapes, but bitter, foul-smelling, poisonous in nature, a description of self-willed and unfaithful people. And so all this to say, the Lord can give us his righteousness he can plant us in a relationship with him. He can surround us and do everything he can that will make it. But he gave us a free will. And that's what this is describing. If we want, we can do our own thing. And we can live the wildlife. And sin is fun for a season. But in the end, it brings death. That's what this is speaking of. And what we want to do you know, we're talking about going into a new year and being planted where the Lord wants and following him. Well, we have to know the hiccups and the traps of the enemy and the things that will get us sidetracked. This isn't even me. This is the word. Oh, yeah, all this positive stuff about trees and righteousness. But all through the word, it always is contrasted with the opposite. It's always contrasted with falling away. Uh, we read it this morning. We won't get to it, but it talks to uh, Jude about it's God who keeps you. It's God who will present you faultless. So we have a hope. But one of the stories that's really good that I like, it says this. It says, this is Jesus. Likewise as it was in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. And on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained brimstone and fire on them all. Even so will it be when the Son of Man is revealed. This is Jesus not giving out vengeance, but kind of talking about it later and saying, I didn't say it's not going to happen. Let me give you a few more details. It's going to be bad. But he says this. Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. That was a memory verse. Remember Lot's wife. And in the story, what happened was, was this man and this woman, who, by the way, planted themselves in an ungodly city where God didn't really want them. They had free will choice, but it wasn't the best place. And then when it got really bad, God loved them, wanted to pull them out of it and rescue them so they wouldn't get judged with everybody else. And when they were leaving, they were supposed to not look back, like, let it go, move on. And in the story, Lot's wife looked back. And I like what this commentator said. He said, Lot's wife looked back. It was more than a glance over the shoulder. It was a look of longing did not want to leave, a desire to return. She couldn't let it go, and it cost her life. And so it is with our relationship with God. We see people who love God, 
And then they start to look back and they start to long and they go back and it costs their life. Go back into an ungodly life. It's a sad thing. All right, let's wrap this up. Uh, really encouraging verse, uh, Psalm, I mean, is Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the river of the water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. That's good. And here's the contrast. The ungodly are not so. They are like the chaff in the wind, driven away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. The way we stay close to the Lord here and become a tree that bears its fruit in its season as we walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. This is kind of like a soul-searching thing when we're so busy to actually do it. You know, like, will we do it going into the new year? Who are you walking around with? Who are you walking around with that you actually stop and hang out with? Who are you sitting with? Well, let me tell you something. Jesus was a friend of sinners. He walked with sinners, stood with them, and sat with them. But when he did it, really... They were walking with him, standing with him, and sitting with him, and he was calling them to repentance and to get their eyes on God and working in their lives. And sometimes we're walking around standing and sitting in, with people and in situations we shouldn't be in, but we have to ask the question, why? Why? Usually it's because we want approval, friendship. There's a hundred things we could want. But you know what? God wants us to look at where we're walking, standing, and sitting and be where he wants us. And when we're there, he wants us being there the way he wants. And in the context of this, we're meditating on his word day and night. I got a closing story. Some of you may get it. And I almost didn't get it because I'm not a race car fan. NASCAR and Formula One, they do pit stops. You know, they go out on the track and they do pit stops. And I saw this YouTube video where it goes, you know, 20 years ago, pit stop, 20 minutes. 10 years ago, eight minutes. They got that to how long it takes for a car racing around the track. A pit stop is when it needs to come in and get some help. Refuel, new tires, anything else. They need some help getting it together. These Pit stops have crews that service them. But the pit stop for a Formula One race, I think it's now down to 12 seconds. And they have a 20-man crew. My numbers might be a little off, so don't quote me on it. The NASCAR races, it's down to like two to three seconds, but they're only allowed to have five uh, people. And what this reminded me of as I thought about it is, you know, as we go into the new year, a lot of us treat our relationship with God and church like we're out in the race of life and we're just coming in for a quick pit stop. Service me in five minutes. You know, get me all better and I'll be good. It doesn't work that way. 
And you know, we're fortunate, a lot of healthy churches, it's not an in and out. There's a nice time of worship. There's a nice time of the word. So you are, in a sense, taking some time out of your week to have a healthy pit stop. But it's not supposed to be once a week. Here it says day and night. Day and night. And if you think about a healthy pit stop where the car wins the race, it's not just because that pit stop that took five minutes, give or take, took care of them. It's because all week long prior to the race, that car was getting serviced and that driver was getting served. It was every day, not just the once. So as we go into the new year, God wants to have a relationship with you and me night and day. And he wants us to follow him and not other people. And he wants us to be planted where he wants us. And even in difficult situations where you're planted, what does he want us to do when we're planted there if that's where he has us? Meditate on his word day and night. And then we'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your mercy and your grace that you continually dig up the bad stuff out of our lives and pour in your, just your mercy, grace, love. You water us so that we'll flourish. So we do just, uh, as we end this year and go in a new one, pray you would help us to just to be right at your feet, right with you in a close relationship with you. And we, uh, we do want to surrender and give you permission, Lord, to do the pruning you need to do and to just help us, Lord. Thank you. You'll never leave us, never forsake us. You'll always be there for us. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to join us in person, head over to steadfastcarlsbad.com for more info. God bless.